This is HPR episode 2860 entitled Encryption and Quantum Computing and is part of the series Privacy and Security. It is hosted by Ayuka and is about 13 minutes long and carries a clean flag. The summary is How will quantum computing affect the security of encryption? This episode of HPR is brought to you by archive.org. Support universal access to all knowledge by heading over to archive.org forward slash donate. Hello, this is Ahuka, welcoming you to Hacker Public Radio and another exciting episode in our security and privacy series. And what I want to talk about today is encryption and how that is affected by quantum computing. Because, uh, you know, quantum computers are starting to appear and they are starting to do things. Uh, now, if you've been paying any attention to encryption technology, you probably know that the safety of encryption from being cracked relies on the concept of computational infeasibility, which is a fancy way of saying that any encryption can be broken if you have enough time and enough resources. But if those quantities of time and resource are simply impractical, you can regard encryption as safe enough. Now, in, in previous uh, uh, episodes, you know, I, I've talked about this. And in fact, my, one, my episode on uh, passwords, entropy, and good password practices, uh, I went through a, you know, a numerical example that a, a good long password with high entropy, um, you know, if it was long enough and entropic enough, uh, it would take longer than... It would go past the heat death of the universe, basically. <laughs> now, what we have to understand, though, is that was using current computer technology. Uh, so the other thing we've consistently talked about with all of this is that it's an arms race. So uh, attackers are always getting better. Um, you know, this is Bruce Schneier's rule. Attacks always get better. They never get worse. Uh, and that means defenders need to improve as well. Now, so far that's worked reasonably well. As computing has gotten cheaper and more powerful, thus making it easier to crack encryption, the defenders have responded by improving encryption through superior algorithms, longer key lengths, and so on. In this kind of arms race, a reasonable view in general is that anything encrypted today will, if you did it properly, remain safe for at least a period of decades before technical advances make it unsafe. Now, this is not to deny that some older encrypted data may become vulnerable over time if anyone cares enough to save it and attack it when the technology has matured that far. 
For example, there is speculation that a NSA facility constructed in Utah called the Intelligence Community Comprehensive National Cybersecurity Initiative Data Center. That's a long title. Uh, So the idea is that we think that was probably constructed for this precise purpose. And that's what the NSA is doing. I suspect either GCHQ is participating with NSA or has something similar in mind. Um, Now, the facility is capable of storing immense amounts of data and is near to sources of low-cost hydroelectricity, as well as being very favorably situated on Internet trunk lines. All of this certainly makes a plausible case for what they're doing, at the very least. Now, personally, I've not worried too much about this, because this is not the threat model I need to defend against. And I always start by defining the threats I care about. I got this from Bruce Schneier. Uh, You know, define the the threat that you see um, and what it can do to you, and then pick a countermeasure that is going to deal with that threat. So if someone says, I just want to be 100% secure against everything, it's like, okay, you're not ready for this. You're not thinking clearly yet. So if the NSA can decrypt my emails 20 years from now, I doubt they'd find anything terribly interesting. And when I read my emails from long ago, frequently I'm puzzled by what they're about. But there are people who have very legitimate reasons to be concerned, such as democracy activists in totalitarian countries like Russia, China, Turkey, and so on. They should indeed be paying attention to the capabilities of the spy agencies and taking steps to protect themselves. And for anyone who is concerned, the biggest wild card has been quantum computing. So quantum computing differs from traditional computing we're used to by the way the bits work. In traditional computing, bits are either zero or one. Encryption in that environment is simply manipulating those bits, such as techniques like XOR, exclusive OR, um, and where the quantum difference comes in is that each quantum bit, called a qubit, can take on many values simultaneously. This is a superposition that allows both 0 and 1 to exist simultaneously, kind of like Schrodinger's cat, which is both alive and dead until you look. And that, of course, is a classic example of quantum weirdness. A single qubit can be in two states at once. Two qubits can be in a total of four states at once. Three qubits can be in eight states at once, and so on. So take two, raise it to the power of the number of qubits you have, and that tells you how many states you can have. And, you know, that's exponential, so it gets really big really fast. Now, for our purposes, I do not propose to go into a detailed description of quantum computing, best reason of all, I'm completely unqualified to do it, and it tends to make my brain hurt. The point we need to keep in mind is that quantum computing has the power to make feasible those decryptions that were previously considered infeasible. 
Uh, that said, we are not there yet. So far, the quantum computers that have been developed are limited and finicky things. But, given the intense interest, it is only a matter of time until they are developed to the point that they are practical. And when that happens, those messages the NSA has stored in Utah will be decrypted if they choose to do that. That's unavoidable at this point. I'm not sure that is all that much different from the march of decryption capabilities we witnessed until now. Encryption standards we once relied on, such as MD5, are now considered useless for any security purpose. Uh, MD5 still lives on as a way of verifying that files have not been changed in any way, so you will still see that with like downloads of Linux ISOs, where file integrity matters, matters a whole lot. So will files encrypted today using something like elliptical curve cryptography be broken in 20 years? I would consider that highly likely. So if you're going to overthrow the government, you might want to get a move on. But I have some people claim that quantum computing means the end of the age of encryption, and that is nonsense. The arms race will continue, and quantum computing will be used to create new forms of encryption that have equivalent safety in the quantum age to what we have had over the last 30 years. In fact, it's happening right now. In the United States, the National Institute of Standards and Technology drives encryption standards. And, as a practical matter, tends to do that for most of the world, not just the United States. They have a project called Post-Quantum Cryptography, and in December of 2016, issued a request for nominations for the proposed new standard. As they state, quote, if large-scale quantum computers are ever built, they will be able to break many of the public-key crypto systems currently in use. This would seriously compromise the confidentiality and integrity of digital communications on the Internet and elsewhere. The goal of post-quantum cryptography, also called quantum-resistant cryptography, is to develop cryptographic systems that are secure against both quantum and classical computers, and can interoperate with existing communications protocols and networks. Okay, so December of 2016, they issue the call. Hey, all you smart folks out there, give us some ideas. They did receive a number of submissions. So in uh, March of uh, 2019... On March 20th, they delivered a briefing to the Information Security and Privacy Advisory Board, which is a board within NIST established by congressional mandate. There, Matthew Scholl, chief of the Computer Security Division at NIST, said that they had spent most of the previous year evaluating 69 submissions and then selected 26 of the most promising of them for further investigation, with an eye to whittling down the list some more later in 2019. And I've got links to 
these lists and things that you can take a look at. So the, the show notes will help if you want more information about all of this. Now, he did make clear that NIST is not looking for a single algorithm or even a specific number of algorithms, which may be a good thing. Uh, one thing we know from experience is that monocultures can fall to a single vulnerability. And it also looks like they expect that different needs will lead to different algorithms being used. Uh, again, a very sensible way of looking at these things. Uh, now, to quote Mr. Scholl, this is to ensure that we have some resilience so that when a quantum machine actually comes around, not being able to fully understand the capability or the effect of those machines, having more than one algorithm with some different genetic mathematical foundations will ensure that we have a little more resiliency in that kit going forward. So, what is this telling us, really? Uh, to me, what it is saying is, you know, there is a need for encryption the need will continue, and even if there's a change in decryption technology, there are going to be people working on ways of getting around that. Uh, so I don't expect that there's ever going to be a point uh, in my lifetime where encryption is uh, totally useless. Um, and so that's the arms race is going to continue one way or another, and uh, we should probably just get used to all of that. And so with that, this is Ahuka for Hacker Public Radio, reminding you, as always, to support free software. Bye-bye. <laughs>You've been listening to Hacker Public Radio at hackerpublicradio.org. We are a community podcast network that releases shows every weekday, Monday through Friday. Today's show, like all our shows, was contributed by an HBR listener like yourself. If you ever thought of recording a podcast, then click on our contribute link to find out how easy it really is. Hacker Public Radio was founded by the Digital Dog Pound and the Infonomicon Computer Club and is part of the binary revolution at binrev.com. If you have comments on today's show, please email the host directly, leave a comment on the website, or record a follow-up episode yourself. Unless otherwise stated, today's show is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 3.0 license.